You know, we've been focusing on a relationship with God, but it's, it's definitely focusing more on a relationship rather than just God. And so I thought, I need to add some depth to that. Let, let's add a little more about God, because we need to know who He is in order to have a greater relationship with Him. And uh, something I've been doing with my city group leader men, I meet with them once a month. We get to get our Pluckers night, and we have actually a little devotional right there in Pluckers. We get a couple waiters all the time going, that sounded really cool. Um, so hey, who knows where it will lead. But I've been teaching them the six practices of ministry that Jesus exemplified in the Gospels. It's uh, from a book of Practical Theology, one of my classes. I thought this would be very good for our leaders. And I'm actually going to eventually be putting it together in a video format uh, to be able to send out to all the Bible Talk leaders. So be praying for me on that. I'm trying to work out making it easier for leaders meetings because, hey, we have busy schedules. And if you can just get online and have a leaders meeting, that saves us all a lot of time. So, But one of the ones I talked about this week was that Jesus was an example in the practice of leading worship. Now, that's an interesting thought, because you think, well, okay, I, I definitely could imagine Jesus being a leader in prayer, but, but worship? I mean, if you actually think about it, there's only one time in the Gospels, it's mentioned in two Gospels, but it's one event, where he sang a hymn with the disciples before going to Gethsemane, and that's it. So how good of a leader in worship was he? Well, the problem is is the way we worship today is so different than the way that the Jewish nation and even the early church worshipped. See, we limit worship to just singing and praise. But you have to remember in context for Jesus, worship had everything to do with the temple and all the rites and rituals that took place, all the different festivals and holidays. That was worship. It was in a place but Jesus is about to change all that. If, if you study the Gospels, Jesus had a very mixed relationship with the temple. He had times where He was there and He was teaching, He was healing. And then other times He was turning it over twice, as we know in the beginning at the end of His ministry. So, part of our confusion is we've got to find a better understanding of, of what is really worship if, if Jesus is our example. Now, how is Jesus... The foundation for the ministry of worship. Well, if you look at the Gospels, and you look at even how the disciples from that point on, there were two things that Jesus did that was teaching them how to worship. I'll tell you what they are up front. He teaches them to pray, Lord's Prayer, and He teaches them to remember the Lord's Supper. And when you think of worship... Take away the song. What's really the power of it? You're remembering. You're praising Him for what you know about Him, what you remember about Him. And often I think we think that worship and prayer are two separate things, or the Lord's Supper and the Lord's Prayer are two separate things. Both involve worship. Both involve prayer. So I'm not going to focus on the Lord's Supper aspect because we've already done that. And it was a beautiful Lord's Supper just to hear all the descriptions and names of God from Genesis to Revelation. I don't know if you caught that. But it, I was just like, wow, this, this is amazing. So I'm going to focus on the one of teaching them to pray. And it's actually teaching them to worship. Here's a quote of one of the books I've been reading. It says, Worship entails the rites, the rituals, sacred stories, songs, symbols, 
and creeds that express fundamental claims about who God is and what God has done for His people. So we see the worship is so much more than just singing. It involves so much more. Now we have worshipped God today in communion. So I'm going to focus on prayer, but however, we don't always think of prayer as worship. But both involve each other. Now, before we take communion, we're, we're given a warning. And in the same way, in order to make prayer worship, I think we need to take to heart this warning. You'll find it in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28. It says, everyone... Who's that include? Everybody. Right? Everyone, right? Christian or not, right? God's expecting this from everyone. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. What made this communion so powerful? Mark just prayed. But what made it powerful is he was moved by the names of God. We were discerning Christ as we prepared our hearts. My question is, before we pray to whom these names refer, are we discerning the name of the one we're praying to? Do we know Him? Do we keep Him in mind? Or are we more concerned about what we pray? Or what we desire in our prayer? See, we're warned in order to properly worship in the Lord's Supper, and I believe also in prayer, we must discern the subject to whom we're praising, to whom we're praying. Communion is about remembrance of Him because Jesus is the focus. But I believe the same is true to properly worship in prayer. We need to discern to whom we pray. God. Now, the account of Jesus teaching His disciples to pray is recorded in only two places. Matthew 6, verse 1 through 15, and the one that most of us know, Matthew, uh, Luke 11, verse 1 through 4. So instead of focusing on the Luke one, I think we need to look at the Matthew one because too often we take the Lord's Prayer out of context. But when you read the Matthew account, Jesus is teaching them in connection to the Lord's Prayer something. And as we just learned, in order for us to really worship in prayer, in other words, to really discern to whom we're praying, we've got to examine ourselves. What's amazing is when you read what he says before the actual prayer, how we pray, it's teaching us how to discern him and remove ourselves from the equation. Let's turn there. Matthew 6, verse 1 through 8. It says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogue and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their full reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to see, be seen by others. 
Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Before Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, He had to first teach them how to discern the one to whom they are praying. Jesus is not condemning the practice of giving or prayer and just after the Lord's Prayer fasting. He's not condemning it. But what He is condemning is the focus was on themselves. See, we could even do righteous things, but rather than doing those things to bring praise to God, we bring it to ourselves. And we can do this in anything. Singing, we can do that. See, that's, that's a real strong challenge for those who lead a song. Right. Are we wanting them to look at us, how I sound, how I look, how I, or is what I'm doing leading them back to God? That's where I thought Malat did such a wonderful job. Amen. I felt connected to God, not just to Malat. But that's, that's what needs to happen. But see, he understands we're so tempted to focus about ourselves. Or how we want others to think we look. Rather than the person to whom we're praying, which is to focus on God. Anyone here struggle with that? Okay, I'm glad I'm not alone, because it's so easy to do. Now what's interesting is he uses this word trice, hypocrite. Now, we don't really understand what that means in this context because our, our modern definition of hypocrite is completely different. In the New Testament text, hypocrite, because of the Greek culture, hypocrite is actually just a name for a play actor. That's what hypocrite means literally in Greek. A play actor. So in other words, they're acting the part, but it's not really them. They're singing, but they're not really singing. They're praying, they're not really praying. They're giving, they're not really giving. They're playing a part. I wonder how many of our prayers were just play acting. Because if you pray differently with others than when you pray alone with God, you're a hypocrite. Why do you pray different when you're with others? You play acting? You're trying to appear differently than you really are? See, God understood in order to have worship and prayer, we've got to remove ourselves. We've got to discern whom we're praying to, not what we're praying about. And now that He's helped us understand that, now He teaches us how to pray. See, we've got to remove ourselves. We've got to remember to whom we pray. This is the same problem often in worship. All the different you know, feelings people have. Well, I don't like this kind. I don't like that kind. Because you're focusing more on how we worship than to whom we worship. It doesn't matter how we worship, as long as we have in our hearts and our minds, together and individually, who we are worshiping. The who is more important than the how. In worship, in prayer. I think that's very important to understand. Once Jesus dealt with the who, now He could deal with the how. So we go to verse 9. This then is how you should pray. See, this is in connection with what he just said, right? So as they're preparing to learn how to pray, what did they already learn? It's not about me. 
It's not about how other people see me. In fact, it's all about the Father who sees me. It's about me and Him. That's the worship and prayer. If we do not discern to whom we're praying in the prayer, it's not worship. Right? So now he's saying, when you get that on straight, when you understand to whom you're praying, that he's the name that you should be most concerned about, now you can learn how to pray. And here's what he says. Our Father. Wait a minute. Didn't he just say in the first part, go do this alone in a room that no one can see you? Right. He says, until you get that right, you won't be able to come together and pray together with the right motive. You'll come together and pray like, I wonder, I wonder if he prays better than me or if I've I got to sound better in my prayer. And so he understood before you pray together, you've got to pray to him right. But at some point, worship is community. It's meant to be shared together. The entire prayer, this command, do, you, do we need to obey this command of Jesus to pray? Then you realize if you don't pray with others, you're disobeying? The entire prayer is in the plural. Let's read it. Our Father, hallowed be your name. In the beginning, what's the first focus? Father, and then your name. And that entails a lot of things. We need to know that name. Your kingdom come. Are we even focused on ourselves yet? No. Your will be done. Anything about us yet? On earth, as it is in heaven. Not us yet, right? Now it says... Give, not me, give us. So this is how we should pray. It automatically expects that we do it together. But together, where individually, it's not about us. It's about Him. How powerful would it be if everyone in this room could pray together where we're all singularly focused on to whom we're praying? I saw how just focusing on the names of God from Genesis to Revelation, we were all moved. That should be our prayer. That's the worship in the prayer. Now here's an interesting caveat. It doesn't say, pray, give us what you need tomorrow. Or a week from now. Or a month from now. Or a year from now. He says the only thing you actually need to pray for in terms of you, your needs, is what do you need today? I'm like, that's interesting. Why does he do that? Because the minute we go beyond today, it starts becoming about us again. <laughs> Doesn't it? But if it's just today, I'm like, okay, God, I need you today. You, you can keep your focus on God. But the minute you go beyond today, it starts focusing back on us usually. Maybe others, but in general, focus back on us. Guys, how many of us actually just pray only for today? See, you can't do that if you don't discern who you're praying to. You can't do that if you don't realize you're coming to the only one who can give you what you need today. And you can't ask Him for what you need today if you're not in touch with yourself. Which is why praying with others is super helpful. Because haven't you been there where you're like, you're trying to pray on your own and you just can't get there? But then you pray with someone else and suddenly what they say in the prayer moves you or reveals something you're feeling. That's the power of community prayer. Give us today. How many things do we pray for? We're actually praying for us, not me. What does us need today? We've got to start thinking that way. Thinking beyond ourselves. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. 
Not my debt. Sin doesn't just affect you. Sin affects everyone around you. So your sin, in this essence, is also my sin. If you're struggling, I'm struggling. You're doing well, I'm doing well. Right? I've got to take ownership for your guy's sin? Yeah, and you've got to take ownership for mine. Right? Isn't it plural? Forgive us. What is our community sin? I know one of them. Tardiness. I'm dead serious, guys. I've stood back there, and I see, at times, I've counted up to 100 people 20 minutes late. Forgive us our debts. I don't see any of you missing the premiere movie. I'm just saying, forgive us our debts. As we forgive those, as we've forgiven our debtors. We've been sinned against as well, right? Not just individually all the time. Sometimes it's plural. We're in this together. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's amazing this prayer is something that is meant to be done together. Yet you notice that the first half of it it has nothing to do with us. It has to do with God. To the one whom we are praying to. That, that to me is just very powerful. And I don't know about you, the other part I love about this prayer is how differently God looks at us than we look at ourselves. When you've sinned, a very blatant, obvious, not like one of those heart ones, I'm not sure sins, but like, oh, I blew it. Yeah. Do you feel like praying? Nope. Anyone here feel like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I got to go pray. Right? Most of us feel like, oh, before I pray, I got to like, Repent, I've got to like confess, I've got to, I've got to like show repentance, I, I've got to like, Lord strike me first. Like, like we have this feeling like somehow I can't pray to Him. But you see what He just said? You don't even get to sin until near the end of the prayer. If, if it was really so important for us to have to, to confess and ask forgiveness first before we can talk to God, shouldn't He have put that at the beginning? Yes. Yeah. See God, okay guys, this is how you should pray. Forgive me, I'm a wretch. Oh Father, hallowed be thy name. It didn't do that. What does that teach us? God looks at us so differently than we do. And actually, He's giving us the secret of how to overcome when we're, when we're overwhelmed by our sin. When we feel like we can't go to Him. In other words, do it anyway. Even if you don't, you're like, yeah, but I haven't even repented yet. I don't care. Go to Him. Do these things first. Because think about it. If you're in sin and you don't feel close to God, but you start off, hallowed be your name. And if you know His name and names and what they mean, you're going to remember, wait, God is a merciful God. God is a compassionate God. God sees me in my misery. God is a forgiving God. God is a just God, though. If I don't repent, He will deal with this. And as you start seeing who God is, you feel a little more comfortable to talk to Him. And then you start praying, okay, the whole problem with my sin is I'm choosing my will. So let me focus on your will. God, let your will be done. Your kingdom. And, and God, your will in my life. Right? And now you can go, and now I see 
Because I know who you are. I know what your will is for my life. And where I chose the wrong way is because I was asking for the wrong things. I was wanting things for me, not things that you want for me. So God, now I'm asking, this is what I need right now. And now, don't you believe He'll forgive you? Isn't that amazing? So guys, when you're in that point, you feel like, I just can't go talk to God right now. Just do it anyway. Because I have a feeling as you follow His prayer... When you get to the sin part, you'll be more than willing to repent. You'll be more willing to go, God, forgive me, brothers. And remember, it's plural. Again, it shows confession. It's something that's meant to be shared. Now, I do want to have a caveat there. Share with people you trust. We do need to have safe places. And sometimes, even in the church, there's gossip and slander. And that, that is wrong. You have broken a sacred trust. Okay? So you, you make sure you choose the right people and you be someone that's trustworthy to confess to. Amen? So I just think that's important to share. But the, the aspect I want to focus on most in this command to pray together, to worship Him, is the hallowed be your name. What does that really mean? See, the name is important. To, to know someone, to worship someone, you've got to know them. And we all have names, right? Your names mean something. Some of us maybe don't like the, the meanings of our names. I actually like the meaning of my name. You know, you know what Derek means? What? <laughs> Ruler of the people. <laughs> I got a good one. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, what? your name means something. But you know what? Most of us have more than one name, right? Like, you may not know that this was one of my names. Tweety Bird. See, now, because you don't know me, you don't know what that means. That just seems weird, right? But if you knew me, or knew the ones who know me, that name means something. Well, I'll tell you, so that you're not left in the dark. I was born with these cheeks and this nose, so I had to grow into it. So, I had... I had the tummy and the beak, and so I looked like Tweety Bird as a baby. That, that was what, why my mom called me Tweety Bird. Okay? So that, now you know that. I'll just be up in front. But see, until you knew that, it makes no sense. Another one of my names, Stretch. What's that got to do with Derek? Well, that was a name that my dad gave me because I was kind of short for most of my childhood. Like, I just didn't grow right away. But then all of a sudden, I just, boom. And even though I'm not super tall, I was a lot shorter before, okay? <laughs> My son, on the other hand, he, he, he could be stretched like to the max, like stretched to the third. But that was the name he gave me because I stretched. And as a result, I was very clumsy, so stretched. That was my name. I have other names I'm not going to share. Um, well, okay, this name, Babe. That's what my wife gives to me. She actually gave that name to me when we weren't even dating on accident. I was like, yes, honey. <laughs> she did. I was like, I like the sound of that, though. One day she's going to say that to me more permanently. <laughs> but I bet if I ask, some of you have some other names. And those names bring meaning to who you are. Now, I'm not going to ask you to give me your nicknames, but if you want to, I'd love to know them. It'd be cool. I gave you some of my big ones. All right? In the same way, hallowed be your name. If we don't know His name, how do we obey the hallowed part? We don't know Him. 
And as we saw, guys, there are many names. Now, some of those were more descriptions than names, but we're actually going to do a series where I'm going to take a Hebrew name for God in the Bible, and there are many, uh, over 21 of like specifically separate names of God, and we're going to study them one by one. So we're going to do this series, The Names of God. And to show you how important this is, I want to end with a prayer that we probably all know. Psalm 23. Who, who, who likes Psalm 23? It's an amazing psalm, but in essence, it's a prayer. It's worship. And this is going to be the coolest part of this message. Because even though it doesn't use the actual Hebrew names, every single verse refers to one of the names of God. So I'm going to read through kind of phrase by phrase... And as you read the phrase, I'll then give you the name of God and the meaning of that name, and you will be blown away. The entire Psalm 23 is discerning the name of whom he's praying to. Let's start it off. The Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Rochi. The Lord is my shepherd. Pretty clear, right? I lack Nothing. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. What, what kind of feeling does that just bring you? Peace, right? Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. He refreshes my soul. He brings healing to my soul. Jehovah Rapha. The Lord who heals. He guides me along the right path, or other translations say, the path of righteousness, for His name's sake. Jehovah Sigentku, the Lord of our righteousness. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even in the dark, El Roy, the God who sees me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint, you sanctify me. My head with oil, my cup overflows. Jehovah Mekadeshim, the Lord who sanctifies. And lastly, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A place where he, there was no beginning and no ending. Yahweh, the self-existent one. Did you see that? That entire psalm was worship. Because it was discerning the names of God without even saying the names. How much greater would our prayers be if we knew the names of God? And, and employed them specifically as Psalm 23 did for those areas in our life. If you need he healing, or you're praying for someone with healing, Jehovah Rapha. If you feel alone and isolated like no one cares, El Roy, the God who sees me in my misery. Man, every name helps us to understand God so much more. And God is absolutely incredible. Amen. We need to know to whom we are praying. But to truly know Him, we need to know His names. 
Over the next several weeks, we're going to study the names of God. And then we can all together, because that's the command, pray in worship, hallowed be your name. Amen.